Make no mistake, India's fintech scene is not only overflowing with innovation, the talent is there to spare as well. In her role as co-founder and head of research at Whitesight, Ashan Darden is discovering information that every serious entrepreneur in the financial services space will want to check out. Here, she shares her thoughts on the process behind turning Whitesight Insight into a foundation for smart decision making here on Dave and Darm Demystify. From the studios of NMD Plus in the UK and US comes the Dave and Darm Demystify show. Dave and Darm Demystify Show, making sense of the world of fintech and digital finance. Sit back and listen as the two Ds take a subject and chat it through to make it clearer and easier to understand. And now, here are your hosts, Dave Wallace and Darm Mystery. Demystify. Welcome everybody to this week's show. And today we have Ashan Darden from Whitesite Research. She joins us from Mumbai. So, Afshan, would you like to give a bit of an introduction to yourself and tell us a bit more about Whitesite before we kind of get into the podcast? Of course. So, hi everyone. I am Afsha. I head the fintech research at Whitesite and I'm also the co-founder. Personally, from my experience, I am pretty new to fintech. I started my journey in 2018 and it was with the Neobank deep dives that I started out. I studied about 50 challenger banks, digital banks across the world. So that time I was interning at Burnmark and that is how I came across, I mean, met my co-founder Sanjeev and he was also one of my professors. So over time, our relationship evolved from mentors to now co-founders and we started Whiteside back in November 2020 officially. We are focusing on fintech specifically throughout the world and we aim to establish a fintech intelligence engine which will help you know startups and investors in fintech make powerful data backed decisions and we sort of aim to become like the secret weapon of sorts not so secret maybe in you know powering their decisions in terms of strategy in terms of business models etc so you're basically looking to glean insight and turn that into knowledge other people from an advisory point of view can then buy from you to sort of short circuit their development and innovation life cycles. Is that right? Pretty much. Like studying the successful business models that have proven their track record through various growth trajectories, as well as customer adoption and studying what they did, how they did it. And eventually, you know, helping people pick and choose what can work for them, what they can employ in their particular geography or in a particular segment. I guess where both Dharmesh and I came across you was some of the reports that you've done on the fintech marketplace. There's a few you've done in the UK and some in the US. I mean, I was struck by just the detail that you went into and the nuggets of interest that you managed to find. In terms of the market, are you looking more broadly than the US, the UK? I mean, obviously, you're kind of looking at global trends, aren't you? 
Yes, so in terms of market, we are definitely looking broadly. So we started out with the new care neo banks. The primary reason for that being the annual reports were pretty widely available, and there was a lot of you know hype about them. People are talking about them. So we wanted to actually understand what is it that's making them so attractive to investors as well as the users, what they're doing behind the scenes. And that is where the deep dives on their reports throughout the years helped a lot in bringing out all these insights, which we then packed up into that final report, which everyone has seen. Those reports, I mean, the quality of information is just absolutely awesome. And, you know, what I really like about it is you take a lot of detail and you make it consumable very easily through both the text and the images. So great job on that. And just from my perspective, I just find them so useful. And I'm just surprised that you give them away for free. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. I think definitely as a beginning tactic, we thought, you know, why not publish this and see what's the kind of response we get. And we were blown away by the support and also you know, people sharing them, talking about them. So we do try to keep the reports very minimal on text. We like to have the data talking. So whether it be macro indicators of the economy itself or segment level data in terms of the competition or the funding in the segment, like the reports had granular detail about the company itself. We try to weave them in a way that each slide has one main takeaway, which you look at it and okay, you understand that this is what they're trying to convey definitely definitely comes across in that way i think i've got quite a dyslexic brain and i found that the reports were very easy to read so it's definitely achieved what you were setting out to do going back to the origins and what you're looking to do with Whitesight in terms of finding those nuggets taking like the uk what did you find particularly interesting in terms of some of the things that you saw from the fintechs that you looked at and then, you know, it'd be good to move on and talk about the US as well. So in terms of the UK, I think what's the starting point definitely is the regulation and the digital banking, you could say, support which was given by the regulators was a really good boost. And on that, the way they have managed to build up these digital only banks from scratch with their own technology, that itself was quite an achievement. And in terms of the business model, we did focus on what their revenue streams are and what their cost components are. So that's how ultimately, you know, everyone talks about the path to profitability, but those are the two things which give you profitability. And there were quite a, a lot of differences between each of the banks. Like, for example, you had Revolut, which was focusing completely on interchange income and its subscription fees. Whereas on the opposite end, you had Starling, which was focusing on lending and getting income through its marketplace commissions, as well as through its B2B platform. So the way they have employed all these different techniques and each come up with their own way and path to break even and then eventually become profitable was pretty interesting in the UK. It was a European kind of initiative. So it was kind of broader than the UK, but the UK certainly kind of jumped onto the bandwagon very quickly and there was fast kind of adoption. Would you see that the UK is like the birthplace of fintech? And Only from originated, I would say, from the European PSD initiative, then PSD2, all of that. But I think the European region as an entire, you know, breeding ground for fintechs has been providing that environment, both regulatory as well as in terms of industry initiatives. So I think, and that's a place where a lot of startups across the world gain a lot of inspiration from, like, 
everywhere you see, they're talking about these initiatives. I mean, we're now like over six years on from that initial white paper and the regulation coming in, you know, a few years later. What we're seeing is like, you know, the regulation spread across the world, right? And it has to do that, right? Because it's a regulator's job to protect the country's own interests. So, you know, foreign competitors don't get an advantage by them not doing something in their own country, right? But just in terms of comparison, you know, I'd be really interested to get your view on where do you think India is with their fintech community? Have you caught up with where we're at? Are you moving faster? Give us an insight on what's happening in India. When I think about it in terms of the population and the diversity we have, like every state to go, it's like a different mini India altogether. And in terms of the fintech initiatives, uh, the landscape is, I would say, very collaborative. The government themselves have an entire public infrastructure in place whereby you have the India stack, which has the Aadhaar, UPI and the open credit enablement uh, network recently, which has come up for lending. So those things that act as rails and there are banks and fintechs all building on top of them collaboratively. So it becomes a very supportive and encouraging environment for new startups as well, because I see these new startups coming up and they're like, oh, we're going to build this on India Stack and we're going to partner with this bank. And they're able to do it because the infrastructure is in already in place and the banks are also opening up their APIs without any mandate or anything. And they're more happy to partner and in turn innovate themselves and help the ones who are innovating grow bigger. So really, India Stack has not just started the fintech revolution, but it's actually allowed you to leapfrog other countries, would you say? Yes, in terms of payments, definitely, because the volumes we are seeing is nothing which you could have imagined would exist today if a UPI wasn't in place. UPI on the national level has leaped from, say, the 20-year development brought down into, say, four or five. It's phenomenal. In India, which are the companies that you're looking to start benchmarking yourself from a research point of view? Who are the ones kind of leading the pack? In India, I think there are the fintech unicorns like Paytm, you've got Policy Bazaar, you've got Zerodha, and they themselves have got such interesting business models and quite diversified ones as well. So those are ones we do see ourselves looking into eventually maybe or as well as the neobanks themselves in India because quite a lot are popping up and they are coming up in niche segments like few specifically for teens or few specifically for small businesses or few specifically for uh, salaried blue-collar employees. So that is one segment I feel is quite interesting in India. Payments definitely, lending definitely. But in the up-and-coming ones, neobanks is one which I have my bet on. Okay. Fantastic. I love the notion of actually digging into essentially how these companies are planning to make money and then using that insight. I guess you talk to a lot of founders and a lot of people, they assume they'll make money. They haven't really, I guess, thought about it in the detail that you're able to go into in terms of the research that you're doing. So as a kind of potential asset, this is going to be very, very valuable for people. Are you going to provide access to your research or are you looking to do much more advisory work around this? What's the sort of plan for Whitesight itself? The plan for Whitesight is more on monetizing the research, not exactly into advisory. We see ourselves as people who will look into all the data for you, whatever's out there, and customize it 
to your needs what you need for your business or for your investment and provide you with the supporting data which you need to make those decisions fantastic so i wanted to quickly go back to like the uk was very much driven by regulation as you talked about right and india you've got the india stack which is driving a lot of what's going on what do you think's gone on in the us i mean you could say we're slightly behind the curve in terms of fintech but now seems to be roaring so what do you think's happened there i think the us is a pretty interesting study in itself so again no regulations like you mentioned for digital banks themselves but you've got these partnerships happening with these bas players as well as the back end banks and that entire stack is completely a new thing which we're studying right now so looking at all these neo banks on top of these bas players and how it actually impacts their cost and revenue structure because when you have these intermediaries coming in obviously there's going to be some dilution of the cost components as well as the revenue components so in the short term you could say definitely they have the interchange fees benefit on their hand because in the us the interchange fees are higher and more beneficial towards the fintechs or neo banks whoever is the end party that way but these bas players coming in it is also a cost component for the fintechs and they neo banks specifically so they do have to keep in mind that at the unit level how much is my entire cost metric which is getting allocated towards these bas players so eventually does having your own license make much more sense in terms of increasing your profitability or bottom line at the end or is it that you increase your revenue and then hope that it compensates for the costs which you are incurring with the bas players as well as different intermediaries or tech providers you are using so that is one thing which we are diving a bit deeper into and understanding what are the different nuances over there and how they function What's interesting I think was like some McKinsey stats on that right and this is what surprised me about like what happened in Europe right they didn't take the base data and then create some business models what they created was you know oh we can create efficiency gains in the full stack of banking and you know compete with the banks on that basis right so almost like run a bank for cheaper and then provide you know frictionless experiences to the customer right but what happens in the US seems to be happening on the numbers right and mckinsey's did some really good research on the numbers which is around about 60% of the revenue of a bank comes from the products but it gives a return on investment of about 5% from the products from distribution selling the products owning the customer relationship only 40% of the revenue is distributed to the distribution side of it but return on equity for that is about 20%. So, you know, four times more profit on distribution than on manufacturing, which actually means that manufacturing has to be a scale play, right? Okay. Distribution can afford to be a niche play but with higher margins. And so that's why I think in the US you start to see bas players being driven out with banking licenses and then a ton of new players thinking, well, Look, I don't need to be regulated because I can just sit off one of these guys, right? And if they're serving me and 10 other banks, surely they're doing it cheaper than I can run it myself. We didn't have that in the UK because Monzo and Starlink when they started, you couldn't get a modern stack solution and there weren't bas solutions necessarily that they could go to. I mean, one could argue there were players like Fido already out there doing 
some of this stuff, but they were early days for them, right? But I think being late to the party has benefited other countries, hadn't necessarily benefited us from being early, right? <laughs> yeah. But then there also comes the question of, you know, if all these banks are building on top of these pre-packaged services provided by these banking as a service companies, where is the actual innovation coming in? Actually, you need to read my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's all in the experience. <laughs> but that's exactly it, right? So the value comes from owning an entire customer journey, right? And whether that journey is becoming a parent, or whether buying a house or sending your kids to university or making sure that they have an early retirement, whatever, right? Those are the journeys. And if you own those journeys end to end, which is banking is a small slice of that, right, where the transactions and the money occur, right? But if you own the rest of the piece about the right advice, the right content, the other facilities, tasks that you need to be doing, if you own it end to end, then you can start to generate new revenue streams. This, I think, is one of the mistakes with Monzo being kind of like an efficiency play, that their margins are so thin, they're not able to generate other revenue streams outside of banking. And they certainly haven't been great on the lending side, where banking margins are better. Right. Yeah. I think what validates your hypothesis is also that these niche neobanks which are coming up in the US, like you have like green light specifically for teens and kids, then daylight, say for LGBTQ and then black focused neobanks. So yeah, I think that does validate your point that they are focusing on these segments and providing them end-to-end services. I don't want to come across like I was a genius, (laughs) but this is a pattern that happened in other industries. So just by looking at other industries, like it already happened with utilities, the people that were mining for coal or for oil, you know, were different to the people that were distributing it. The same thing happened in retail, the same thing happened you know, in other markets, right? Banking should have happened a lot sooner because it was based all on information. So it didn't really need much to transition towards this model, but it was more a mentality that this is the way that banks have always been. And, you know, it was highlighted to me by banks that kind of said, look, we own the customer. And that's, I think the Achilles heel is you don't own the customer unless you own the experience, right? And now it's all about experience. I think it's right. But I think, you know, if I, was a, if I was a founder setting up a bank now or setting up a fintech or whatever it was, knowing that I could go and sort of look at what the business models of other banks are from around the world. I mean, that's just so useful, to be honest with you. So I think what you've got is a really nice, rich seam of opportunity in terms of sort of finding insight and then grow the insight around it. So you know, one of the things that we're doing as NMD Plus with Whitesite is expanding out our views on social media. And it's been fantastic to tap into the rich research capabilities that you've got, Afshan. So it's a really interesting space to be. I can't wait to see that report because, you know, the whole thing around social media has been, it's a bit like how banks started in the early days of the internet. It's like, here's the website and the rest of the bank does something else. The transactional piece are very separate, right? Then we had the internet bank, which was very separate, right? And it's like, no, no, these things need to kind of all work together. So it'd be interesting to see like really which countries or which areas of the world lead on the social side of things. I think it's great. I mean, we've looked at sort of the UK so far and my summary is it's a bit like social media is in the shed at the bottom of the garden at the moment compared (laughs) to living in the house. 
So looking at other countries and comparing and contrasting the approach from neobanks with the more traditional banks in other geographies, I think is just going to be fascinating. So I think the other thing which has been brilliant, actually, is to get to know another business, which is based out of India, and we're sort of joining up through the language of fintech. So actually, there's a real sort of sense of community around this, which has been brilliant as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it's been, I think, so far quite a learning experience when we were looking at which banks to target and which geographies and then at the entire framework itself and how in-depth it was and the various parameters that it captured. So I think the end product is going to be quite impactful. I think all of you should, you know, keep a mark for it and be ready for it. Fabulous. Well, listen, we're out of time. Thank you so much for joining us today. And it's been really, really brilliant to understand not only more about Whitesite, but your views on fintech in various parts of the world. Yeah, brilliant. I'd just like to say also, I'd love your enthusiasm and energy and passion that you have clearly for the topic, right? And it definitely comes out in the report. So for all of our listeners, definitely have a look at the Whitesite reports. It's of definite value to you. And why not? It's free. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for the support. It keeps us going, honestly. Thank you. Fabulous. Thank you for tuning in to Dave and Dan Demystify. We hope you join us next time and check back in the weeks ahead as we build our podcast vault on SoundCloud. Be sure to connect with Dave Wallace and Darmish Mystery on LinkedIn. And until next time, ciao and have a marvellous week. The Dave and Darm Demystify Show is a production of NMD Plus, London, Chicago and Austin, Texas.